Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. Coming up on this episode of the Box of Oddities, is it really the year 1726 and we just don't know it? And tiny, tiny birds and big fluffy dogs. It's the Box of Oddities. If it's weird, we'll talk about it. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. So we just cleared 25 million downloads. Is that even possible? So I have prepared for you a token of my appreciation where I will say thank you 25 million times. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Pretty sure that wasn't 25 million, but I think they get the point. Never in our wildest imagination did we think that would happen, and it's it's because of you guys. We we really appreciate it. It's exhausting, really, to think about. How much we love them is exhausting? Yes. And also, we've just had a really busy week. <laughs> right? We went to West Palm Beach. We saw Christine and M. Uh, that And that's why we drink, which is probably the best podcast in the world. And uh, we were their guests and it was really sweet. And they and they made so much time for us. And Christine took us to dinner. Uh, I was kind of fangirling a little bit. It was adorable. I loved it. M ended up giving me some pretzels filled with peanut butter and a chocolate bar. I don't know if I just look like someone who would take your food, but it's true. I will. <laughs> And I ended up, uh, well, thoroughly embarrassing myself. And uh, I need to issue this apology. Publicly? To, yes, to both uh, Christine and M. Uh, Christine invited us backstage. And we were in the green room. And uh, I had to go to the bathroom, mm -hmm. like, really, really bad. And so I knocked on the bathroom door because it was closed. Mm -hmm. And I didn't hear anything. Mm -hmm. And then I checked the handle. And it, it wasn't locked. It opened up. And I, and I walked in on M using the bathroom. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a great way to introduce yourself to someone. Yeah. This was my first introduction to mm -hmm. M. Yep. Uh, my guess is they'll probably never invite us to another show ever. I know, but they were both so sweet and, like you said, generous with their time and just like hung out with us. And, and genuine. I know. Which so is really, wild. really cool. 
We had a blast. We did. And they're at the tail end of their tour, too. I imagine they probably are are, are a little bit tired of being on the road. They've been out for quite a while. Mm. And yet they still they still acted like they were happy to see us. We had such a wonderful time and it was such a cool show. And to see how they do their in-person shows, you know, as opposed to how we do our, you know, right, it was right. just really interesting. And it I was. had such a good time. A little too good a time on it, if we're yeah, being honest. Yeah, you actually climbed over a wall inside the improv to get to your table. I thought that the entrance was further, so I thought that would be a shortcut, but it turns out it was like right there, yeah, and yeah. I just looked like an insane person. You threw yourself over a, like a half wall to get to the table. I have so many bruises. And you rolled over onto the floor, and uh, I just kind of walked five more feet and came up the ramp. And Yeah. 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 Anyway, it was a great show. They did some ghost hunting at uh, Whaley House, and uh, they had video and stuff. It was really interesting. If you want to see their tour, uh, you have just a few chances left. They're going to be, let me see here, at the Wilbur Theater in Boston on the 27th of April, this coming Friday, or Thursday. And then uh, Friday, they'll be at the Palladium in Times Square, New York City. And Saturday at the Victoria Theater in Newark. And then uh, Friday, the 19th of May, Las Vegas at the Mirage Theater. At the Mirage Theater, that's where I saw Cirque du Soleil. Love. Not not in the theater, but at the Mirage. Cirque du Soleil probably has its own place. Probably. I would think. Yeah. Anyway, if you have a chance to check out, and that's why we drink, you won't be disappointed. It really did make me miss doing live shows though you know you get there and you can feel that excitement and everyone's all jazzed up i don't know i i was jealous that they were the ones doing it yeah it was a mixture of uh feelings for me too the excitement in the club made me think you know i really i wish i wish we were doing a show Mm. and then at the same time i'm thinking i'm glad we're not doing a show because i have nothing prepared so So then we get back, and uh, the first thing uh, you did was make an angry TikTok. <laughs> Boy, you were, wow. Yeah, you had, you had cleaned up some litter uh, in a lake, in a pond next to the, uh, the grooming place where you took haggis, and it was hot, and you were just really frustrated. That's when you saw the video, you were like, yeah, sweetie, you're you're coming in hot. And I was like, I know, I know. I, I feel really badly now, but I was so frustrated at the time. And sometimes I, sometimes, I don't know if you know this or not, I can have some big feelings. Yes, I've recognized that. I just don't think that people should litter is all. You actually said during your your rant that people who litter are in fact themselves trash, <laughs> and then when we were discussing it, you said they. I, I just want to throw them in a well, and I'm well. That's littering. It's true. You were then like, well, what about their clothes? That would be litter. And then I was like, all right, I'd undress them first. And you're like, well, then the toxins in their body would leach into the water right. system, into the groundwater. And ironically, this was on Earth Day. You didn't even realize. I didn't it, even so. realize it was on Earth Day. That's crazy. Yeah. So I guess what we're trying to say is go see, uh, and that's why we drink and uh, don't litter. And I can be an asshole any day of the year, <laughs> not just on Earth Day. Uh. Hey, I got a question for you. Yeah. Are we actually living in the 18th century and don't even know it? Mm, I don't think so. <laughs> well, there's a theory that might make you question everything you thought you knew. 
And and it's called the phantom time hypothesis. Do you think so? Yeah. Do oh, you? yes. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to be in on this one for okay. sure. This one's going to convince you. The phantom time hypothesis states that nearly 300 years of human history were just made up and that we're currently living in the year 1726. Okay, I have a lot of questions, but I'm going to let you get into it, and then, <laughs> okay. then we'll go back. All right. It's a controversial theory. Huh? Yeah. It suggests that the early Middle Ages never actually existed and were instead fabricated by the Holy Roman Emperor Otto III. And that always makes me laugh to think that Rome had a holy emperor named Otto. Um, also, Pope Sylvester II, this in the 10th century. So we're talking about a phantom time period. It's it's kind of like like ghost limb sensation, but for history. <laughs> so to start, let's consider what we know about the early Middle Ages, the period between the 6th and the 10th century AD, known as the Dark Ages, and when Europe was marked by political instability, uh, lots of really cool invasions, and enjoyable economic decline. However, it's also a period that saw significant cultural and intellectual advancements, including the establishment of Christianity and the development of the written word, also the creation of uh, many pieces of impressive art and architecture. But what if this period never existed? Now, you're probably thinking, this sounds absolutely wackadoodle. But just to be fair, it, it absolutely is. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it so entertaining. Who needs boring old facts and evidence when you can have a wild conspiracy-laden theory that will make you question everything you know about history? It's actually kind of interesting. The phantom time hypothesis is a theory proposed by German historian and author Herbert Illig in the 1990s. According to this hypothesis, the period of time between 1614 and 911 AD never happened and was instead a fabrication of the Holy Roman Empire along with the Roman Catholic Church, the Vatican. The theory suggests that between 1614 and 911 were added to the calendar in order to bring it in line with the year 1000 AD, which was seen as a significant date in Christian history. A lot of people thought 1000 AD was when Christ would come back. In fact, there's a whole interesting subject there. All the times that people thought Jesus was going to come back. Right. Yeah. I actually saw a fun TikTok the other day about that, where it was sharing a bunch of links to like when uh -huh. when Jesus is coming back. And then it just cut to Mr. Bean holding his thumb out to catch a ride. <laughs> uh, but nobody comes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, as you can imagine, the year 1000, they really thought that uh, that was a significant date. And so the Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor wanted to be in charge at that time. And so the theory is they just added those years to the calendar to make it the year 1000. Kind of like if AOL had been like, we want to be the boss of Y2K. Right. Okay. Got it. According to Illig, there are several pieces of evidence that support his theory. First, he argues that there is a lack of archaeological evidence from this period of time. While there are certainly remnants of the early Middle Ages, such as buildings and artifacts, there are very few that can be specifically dated to the years between 614 and 911. Additionally, Illig points out, there are a few written records from this period. Well, the 
it was the dark period. Yeah. Well, yes, but it was a period where intellectual advancements were being made. And uh, it's surprising that there are so few written records from this period. According to the Phantom Time hypothesis, that the written records that do exist were actually created after the fact and backdated to give the impression that they were written during the missing years. Mm -hmm. He also argues that the architecture and art from the early Middle Ages are suspiciously similar to that of the High Middle Ages, which occurred after the supposed Phantom Time period. This suggests, in his mind anyway, that the architecture and art from the Middle Ages were actually created during the High Middle Ages and were falsely attributed to an earlier period of time. The phantom time hypothesis may seem a little far-fetched, um, but it actually has gained significant follow, a significant following among some historians and researchers. Now, of course, not everybody is on board. Oh. Critics have pointed out that there, in their mind, is plenty of evidence for the existence of the early Middle Ages, including archaeological artifacts and physical structures, like castles and churches. But again, Illig says these were falsely dated to uh, help advance this hoax. Another main criticism of the phantom time hypothesis is that it's based on a misunderstanding of historical methods and practices. According to most historians, the calendar was not artificially manipulated during the early Middle Ages, but rather evolved gradually over time as a result of various factors such as changes in the solar calendar and the adoption of uh, the Gregorian calendar. When they added uh, an extra day for leap day, that sort of thing. Right. So my my big question you haven't gotten to yet. So I'm wondering if maybe you just haven't gotten there yet okay. or if... It's not addressed. What What is that? In this theory, mm -hmm. why wouldn't there be any evidence that the people living during this time experienced a massive time jump? It's simply a manipulation of the calendar. People who lived in the year uh, 613 still lived in the year 613. It's just when it got to 614, uh, they decided to call it the year 1000. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Why is there no evidence that everyone who lived during that period isn't going, the fuck? Why are we pretending <laughs> yeah, yeah. that it's 300 years from now? That, wouldn't that seem like something that would it be documented at some point? Is one person going, I don't know. Our landlord came yesterday and said that <laughs> next year we have to pretend like it's 300 years from now. Like... Doesn't that seem like it would come up in history at some point or some confusion? Well, two things. Number one, that's assuming that the vast majority of people even knew what year it was. Valid point. And number two, the people theoretically who are perpetrating this hoax were very powerful. Mm -hmm. And so they could have manipulated it in many, many different ways. Although I do like the idea that people who lived during that period just simply vanished. That would be cool. Wouldn't that be everyone then? Still be cool. Despite the criticisms, the Phantom Time hypothesis continues to intrigue researchers and historians mm -hmm. and podcast hosts. <laughs> Some scholars have proposed alternative explanations for the supposed lack of evidence from the early Middle Ages, suggesting that the period, well, it was simply less documented than other eras of history. That's fair. There weren't enough pencils. That is why. <laughs> the phantom time hypothesis 
Interestingly, though, is not the only theory that challenges our understanding of history. There are a number of other hypotheses, hypotheses <laughs> that mm -hmm. suggest that certain periods of time may have been fabricated or misrepresented, including the new chronology, which proposes that much of ancient history is a forgery. And the theory that the pyramids of Giza were built much earlier than previously thought. Same with the Sphinx. Oh, okay. There are some people, we've touched on this a bit, there, and there is some archaeological and geological evidence that the Sphinx in particular is much, much older than, <laughs> than we think. Yeah, because the other day uh, after Haggis was groomed, and he looked so handsome, and he was laying in a very particular way in the living room, and you said, he looks like the Sphinx. And I said, does it look like he's been surrounded by a flood? <laughs> and we both laughed and laughed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, the Sphinx is pre-delivered. If the uh, phantom time hypothesis is, is true, then it would mean much of what we think about the early Middle Ages is actually a fabrication. This, of course, would have a major implication not on our understanding of medieval, uh, medieval culture, <laughs> religion, politics, and of course, society. If the early Middle Ages never actually existed, then what happened to the people who were supposedly living during that time? which was the point that you made. Did they simply vanish into thin air or was it just you know, a big elaborate hoax from Otto III and Sylvester II? And they conned people into thinking that uh, the calendar needed some sort of updating. If they were making changes anyway, like with, as you mentioned, the whole leap year thing, mm -hmm. that's kind of weird. Yeah, it's we true. We just have a new day. But only sometimes. I mean, that's a weird thing to tell people. <laughs> I and mean, we're just all like, yep, absolutely. And some people are born on that day? Cool. And then uh, their birthday is only every four years? All right. It's, inter know. it's interesting, though, that the theory is that Otto III and Sylvester II fabricated the early Middle Ages with their specific purpose to legitimize their own rule and bolster their, cla bolster their claims of power. You know what it reminds me of? What? The way that maps used to be made to make, you know, Europe and, and basically white people land look bigger <laughs> yeah. than the rest of the world. That's true. So, you know, look at all we reign over. Right. right and right. it's really interesting. Excellent comparison. Thank Regardless you. of whether or not the phantom time hypothesis is accurate, it does raise important questions about the reliability of historical records and the ways in which history is constructed and interpreted as we all know the victor dictates what will become history right. as we continue to explore mysteries like this of the past it's important to remain open-minded and willing to consider alternative perspectives and ideas but let's be honest in a world where fake news and alternative facts are becoming more and more common uh, the phantom time hypothesis almost feels like a fitting addition to the mix, doesn't it? <laughs> right. I didn't have this on my bingo card. After all, if we can't even trust history books, what can we trust? I got my information from Gizmodo, The Express, and uh, Forbes, interestingly enough. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. 
Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? (sighs) Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parents and kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life... Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout and you will save thanks aura frames for bringing my family a little bit closer and now that thing in the middle welcome to yellowstone national park home to over two-thirds of the world's geysers but why is this park so geothermally active well it's because yellowstone sits on top of a super volcano If this volcano were ever to erupt, it would be so devastating, not just to surrounding areas, but the entire planet. An eruption of this magnitude would produce an enormous ash cloud that would block out the sun and significantly cool the Earth's temperatures. The ash and the debris from the eruption would cause widespread destruction and potentially wipe out most of the life on the planet. But good news, the Yellowstone supervolcano has not erupted for over 640,000 years, and it's considered dormant. 
but it's monitored closely by scientists for any signs of increased activity. Sweet dreams. Edward sent us an email to curator at theboxofoddities.com. Kat and Jethro just listened to episode 533 and the story about Wrong Way Tommy, mm. a.k.a. Thomas Fitzpatrick. Tommy Fitz! Tommy Fitz. The guy who landed a plane on the streets of Manhattan. Twice. Thought you'd appreciate a story about another Wrong Way Irish-American pilot, Douglas Wrong Way Corrigan. In 1938, Corrigan made an unauthorized transatlantic flight from Brooklyn to Ireland, allegedly by mistake, since oh, his no. flight was supposed to take him to Long Beach, California. Oh, no. No one believed him. And he was a great sport about it, but never admitted that he flew to Ireland on purpose. How do you do that exactly? That's really the wrong way. I mean, unless he just flew past California and kept going. Just kept going, yeah. Probably not, though. We got a message from Cabinet of Curious Clay. Uh, I don't remember which episode this was on, but clearly, Kat and I both have a love for the movie My Cousin Vinny. (laughs) So this one is for you, Kat. Also, I made a post in the Freaks group this morning about this Dada-inspired art movement called Fluxus. I worked with a rare art book collection, and we had some of their work. I shared photos, a bunch of pieces. Take a look. I think you'll both really enjoy it. Oh, I was also inspired to share, because of the recent episode you guys did, on the Dada artist Baroness Elsa. I really resonated with that as an artist. Thank you so much for sharing an artist that I had no idea about. I'm going to go see if I can find a biography on her. Nice. Yeah. And we got this message from Christine. I am so thrilled you guys came out for the show. It means more than you know. <gasps> oh, so, sorry. Oh, that was, that was just <coughs> that was from that was just from your personal text. That's, that's text <coughs> from Christine from, <clears throat> and that's, that's why you drink. drink. Yeah, mm. yeah. And she used uh, four exclamation points and a heart emoji. <laughs> We're pretty much besties now. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, I'm Dylan Lewis, one of the hosts of Motley Fool Money. Each weekday on Motley Fool Money, we talk through the business news you need to know and the stories moving stocks on Wall Street. On weekends, we dive into the industries shaping tomorrow and host the experts, authors, and executives that understand them. Tune in for insights, a long-term perspective on investing, and of course, stock ideas, plenty of them. To quote a listener, it pays to listen. Check us out and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. What you got for me, girl? 
Middle Island is a small rocky island lying close to the shore of southwestern Victoria in Australia. It's a class A nature reserve vested with the Department Biodiversity, Conservation and Attractions. And it's the largest island in an archipelago there. I love the word archipelago. I hate it, and every time I say it, I think I'm saying it wrong. (laughs) I say it in my head three or four times before I verbalize it. It's the largest of three islands within the bay with an approximate area of 28 hectares, or about 69 acres. And it first obtained a protected area status as a fauna conservation reserve declared under the Crown Lands Act in March of 1967. And it's currently located within the boundaries of the Inez National Park. There are no permanent settlements on Middle Island as the entire island is a conservation area. The most common species are double-crested cormorants, although several others nest there. Now, you know how I love a cormorant. I just think they're oh, amazing. I not love- a day goes by without me remarking, God, I, you love cormorants so much. Yeah, this is not far. <laughs> <laughs> there have been some vacations that we've taken that were pretty much just me pointing out cormorants. Look, oh, there's a cormorant. Anyway, <laughs> another species that lives there is the little penguin. The little penguin, also known as Eudiptula minor, is the smallest penguin species in the world, and they live in Middle Island. These penguins are remarkable in a lot of ways, but especially in water. They stand at just 30 to 35 centimeters tall, and they weigh around a kilogram. So you can imagine they're these tiny little guys, and the scientific name of these penguins, the little penguins, means Good little diver. <laughs> Just think it's the cutest thing I've ever heard in my whole life. Can we get one? <laughs> they certainly live up to their name. They are uh, impressive swimmers. They can speed through the water at incredible speeds, and they can dive to depths of 50 meters. Wow. That they move so quickly and easily in water is good, since little penguins forage and frolic in ocean waters for about 80% of their lives. Mm-hmm. Though habitats also include rocky coastlines, savanna, scrub forests, or regular old forests. Little penguins are sometimes known as fairy penguins <laughs> because of their blue plumage. Stop giving me more reasons to want a little penguin. They're so cute. And they're flightless, of course. They've officially been recognized as the smallest penguin in the world. They have a little black bill, and their eyes can range from silver to blue, sometimes gray, sometimes hazel. Their chin and throat are white, like many penguins that you would picture, as well as the underside of their flippers and their torso. But this indigo blue color, absolutely beautiful plumage can be seen on the top of their head, neck, and the dorsal side of their flippers and torso. Now, as these penguins grow older, their color of of the feathers can become more dull, so they might look more gray or brown. But as young penguins, they are blue and they're just gorgeous. So they're tiny little penguins that are blue, Mm -hmm. weigh about two pounds. So they're pocket penguins. They're pocket penguins. I want one. I'd name him Reggie. Oh my gosh, that's a great name for a penguin, sweetheart. Well done. Thank you. As a whole, little penguins are not endangered. However, individual populations are. Their numbers are plummeting, and mainland population has decreased by about 70%, and a handful of populations have gone extinct entirely. Mm. 
Early European settlers and American sealers and whalers used little penguins as a food source in the early 1800s. They also introduced rats and dogs and cats and foxes, which prey on the little penguins, as well as other native fauna. In addition, the eggs of these animals were once considered a delicacy. Humans, of course, always a problem, but also because of the proximity of the island to the coast, it's accessible at low tides to predators like foxes and stray dogs. So they just walk across the, uh, the clam flats, so to speak. Basically. You guys leave Reggie alone. The problem first became really apparent in the year 2000. In the year 2000. When the sea's natural current led to an increase of sand buildup, and so as that sand built up, the fox population was growing, and it became clear that they had a very easy source of food. If they Mm -hmm. could scootle across Mm -hmm. and nab some of these little tiny baby penguins. Researchers concerned about the declining populations were ringing alarm bells, and advocates of the flightless birds successfully lobbied for little penguin protection laws. Which I don't understand how anyone could be against little penguin protection laws. It's outrageous to me. That brings us to the Middle Island Marama Project. It's a conservation project that aims to protect the colony of little penguins from danger, specifically fox predation. The project, though, involves dogs. It was started in 2006 after a dramatic decline in the penguin population due to fox predation. And at the time, fewer than 10 penguins remained on the island. 10? Was one of them Reggie? Yes. Okay. Peter Abbott from the Penguin Preservation Project said, in our biggest bird kill, we found 360 birds killed over about two nights. Oh my God. Abbott continued, foxes are thrill killers and they'll kill anything they can find. That's when the Marama dogs were brought in. Abbott, who was a chicken farmer, came up with a plan. He suggested sending one of his Marama dogs to protect the birds. So he brought Oddball to see if it could work. Oddball? Yeah. Oddball is a Marama dog that you might, it kind of looks like a Newfoundland, like a big, white, fluffy dog. So fluffy, so fluffy. Mm, And big. Big paws, super fluffy. So a big, fluffy dog. Big, fluffy, white dog. But Oddball got lonely and swam home. So (laughs) the idea, though, it stuck. And Australian Marama dogs, generally used for chicken protection or to protect goats and sheep, are now specifically trained to guard the penguin colony on Middle Island. Oh, shut up. So these big, fluffy, white dogs protecting little baby, tiny, itty-bitty pocket penguins. Yeah. Maramas are fiercely loyal to their flock and very wary of strangers. The dogs bond with these tiny birds, and they guard them against predators. Yudi and Tula were the first two Marama dogs trained as guardians specifically for the Middle Island Project. Their names come from the scientific name for the pinguinos. For the- <laughs> I love how you just casually toss in a Spanish word. I didn't mean to. <laughs> it's just me not being good at talking today. I see. So they've got Yudi and Tula. Yudiptula Minor. They go through an extensive training program. 
and operate during the penguin's breeding season, usually from October to March, when they spend five or six days a week on the island. But even when the dogs aren't there, their scent remains on the island, so that keeps the foxes away. Okay. Together, they protected the little penguins of Middle Island and saw the colony increase to an estimated 180 penguins during the 2016-2017 breeding season. With Yudi and Tula guarding the island, there was no evidence of fox attacks between 2006 and 2017. That's incredible. Now, as I said, the penguin numbers had been increasing until August 2017. Unfortunately, in 2017, the little penguins arrived on the island earlier than usual. And coincidentally, there was also a thunderstorm approaching, so the dogs were taken off the island. Yudi was afraid of thunder and lightning. So uh. there was concern that trying to get away from it, he he would end up in the water and taken away with the current. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they were taken off the island. And because the smell of the dogs hadn't yet established, the fox made their way across no. and took out a large portion of these little tiny baby penguins. So a good portion of them were taken out in that one single night. However, as soon as the Guardians, Yudi and Tula, returned to Middle Island, the attack stopped, except for this one instance where there was an unfortunate colliding of two events that really worked against the penguins. This established that the program was working. A study by Deakin University in the 1999-2000 Little Penguin Breeding Season (laughs) found that there were 292 burrows on Middle Island, with 502 penguins coming to shore during a one-hour period in January of 2000. At this time, it was also discovered that the increasing number of burrows were at risk because, once again, humans, uh, they were walking around the island and were found to be trampling their burrows. And because people hadn't had to be as cautious about burrows because there weren't that many burrows before, it became a real problem that people were on the island at all. But as of October 2022, the Middle Island Project has a team of five dogs, consisting of two education dogs and three guardian dogs. Avis and Amor, and I think it's really cute how they name these dogs. I'm sorry, Avis and Amor. Come on. Avis meaning bird. Amora meaning love. love. Right? Come on. That's why I call you my rara Avis. You're gross. You're gross. Anyway, Avis and Amora help people learn about the environmental conservation and understand about the dogs. And the project has been such a success and the concept is so endearing that a movie called Oddball has been made about the pioneering pooch and her role as Middle Island's penguin protector. Unfortunately, Oddball did pass away in 2017 at the age of 15, but her very short stay on the island led to something absolutely amazing. Tula retired in 2019, Yudi retired the following year, and now Mezzo is the current lead guardian, supported on Middle Island by Isola and Oberon. Retired guardians and Marama ambassador dogs spend their days in the Flagstaff Hill Maritime Village in Warrnambool. So 
They live their lives protecting these tiny little penguins, and then they have a special farm where they go and retire. <laughs> That's nice. It's the that, sweetest thing I've ever heard. I'd like that job. Yeah. Well, you can actually go and visit and learn with these giant fluffy dogs about the penguins and about the dogs themselves, and you can make like a whole day of it. It does cost a little bit of money, but that money goes toward their conservation efforts. And Reggie thanks you. And so do I, because, oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I got my information from warnemballpenguins.com, A to Z Animals, BBC, ABC.au, and The Guardian. And I just realized that my iPhone keyboard is set on Spanish, which is probably why my (laughs) notes included the word pinguino. Uh, uh We would like to welcome the newest member of the Order of Freaks, Sabrina uh, jumped on board. She is uh, now... The teenage witch, obviously. (laughs) Yeah, so she fits right in. Um, And uh, now she gets to uh, listen to the episodes ad-free. She's eligible to join in on the Zoom calls that we do every month. In fact, we should probably do one next week, don't you think? Yes. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll get that set up. So now's a good time to to join the Order of Freaks. And you can do so by going to our website, theboxofoddities.com, and clicking on the support podcast link or whatever it says. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, a beautiful freak. is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.